Well, we've been in the life of David, and there's a whole lot of things we're not going to get to, but I can't hardly preach from the life of David without preaching this sermon. And I want you to look with me again in Second Samuel chapter number 11. Second Samuel 11. And we're going to read basically the same verses we read on Friday, and then I want to add a verse and preach to you a little while here from this passage. Second Samuel chapter number 11. The Bible said it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle. But David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. It came to pass at an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house, and the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Now, we won't read all of these verses, but you know what takes place. David wants Uriah to go home. But Uriah does not go home, and I'll talk to you about that a little bit later. In verse number 15 or 14, it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. It came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the servants of David and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then if you want to keep your finger in 2 Samuel 11, I want to read a verse from 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. These are, according to Mr. Schofield's superscription, the last words of David. Starting in verse number 8, we will have an enumeration of David's mighty men. There are some amazing things that go on, exploits that go on here in 2 Samuel 23, starting in verse 8. But I'm interested in the last verse of the chapter. The Bible says this. Remember now, these are David's mighty men. Uriah the Hittite, 30 and 7 in all. And I'm going to pray, and then I want to preach a little while on David and Uriah. And I want to call this message, Does It Matter If I Am Faithful? Father, I pray you'll help us now in the next few moments. Lord, you know I have preached this sermon many, many times. But Lord, I believe it is such a needed truth. And I pray you'd help your people. I pray you'd help my heart. I was helped this morning as I was reminded of this passage. And I pray today, Lord, that you'll be glorified in the preaching and that the people of God will be helped in their service for you. I pray, Lord, for the help of the sweet Holy Ghost as I preach this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm thinking about this passage of Scripture, and I'm thinking about this man, Uriah. And when I think of his story, <clears throat> excuse me, I think of this. This is an account and a truth to help us when we feel used or betrayed. 
If anybody's ever felt like they were honest and those you were honest with were dishonest with you. If you've ever been in a circumstance where you were faithful, but those that you were faithful to were unfaithful to you. You were kind, and because you were kind, someone took advantage of you. You gave your whole heart, and it was handed back to you in pieces. That's what we see in the life of Uriah. We find a man who was faithful. We find a man who was honest. We find a man who was kind, and we find that he was ill-used. Somewhere we got the idea that as long as we do right, everything will be good along the way, but it's not that way. It's not that way in the Christian life. The Bible said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. Paul said, yea, and all them that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And Peter said, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But I thought about that song they just got done singing. It'll be worth every mile of the trip when we get to heaven. I thought about this man Uriah, and I want us to think about him for a few moments this morning morning and if you get a little discouraged sometime I know this is I know this is Sherathon and uh, could I put it this way we're on the high end of things we're up on the mountain we're seeing the hand of God and the work of God and the move of God but we'll have to get down in the valley sometime and when we leave here I always thought about Elijah uh, when he's up on the mountain and winning that great victory and then he gets a letter from Jezebel and he's fleeing and I thought you know it's a short distance from victory defeat sometime. It's a short distance sometime from the hot top of the mountain to the deepest valley. So here is a man named Uriah. I want us to be encouraged by what the Bible has to say about him. I want to say a couple of things. First of all I'll mention to you how he lived. How did this man live? What is the testimony of this man Uriah. Well, I think one word would describe his life and it's the word faithful. He was a faithful man. You know, the Bible said, moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. God doesn't tell you you have to be talented. God doesn't tell you you have to be intellectual. God doesn't tell you all those things. He just tells you you need to be faithful. Be faithful. Stay by the stuff. Continue. Stay by the stuff. He's faithful. You say, preacher, how do you know he's faithful? Well, in our text, chapter 11, 2 Samuel, I find that he's faithful to his wife. Now, David has committed sin with Bathsheba, and a child has been conceived. And David is going to get busy trying to cover up his sin. So what does he do? He calls for Uriah. And he wants Uriah to come back to him. Now, why did he do that? Because he wants Uriah to go home and spend some time with his wife. And then when the baby is born, David can say, Hey, don't you remember? Uriah came home. That's his child. He can cover up his sin. That is the deception that David is working on. But you know, David could never even consider that. He could have never even thought of that if Uriah did not have a testimony as a family man and a faithful husband. There was not one inclination in David's mind that Uriah would go out and carouse around when he came home. David never even considered the fact that he would not go home, that he would lie at the gate. David never even thought of that because that was not Uriah's testimony. He was a family man, faithful to his wife. He's not only faithful to his wife, he was faithful to his king. He was faithful to David. You know, you say, preacher, how do you know he was faithful to David? Because David wrote a letter and in the letter he said, take Uriah, set him in the forefront of the battle where the valiant men are, the hottest part of the battle, and retire from him that he may be smitten and die. And then he rolled up that scroll, put the king's seal on it, and guess who he handed it to? 
He handed it to Uriah. He could not have sent that with Uriah unless he knew that Uriah would be faithful to deliver the letter and never look at the letter. His king trusted him. He was faithful to his wife. He was faithful to his king. He was faithful to his commander. David said, put him in the hottest part of the battle, the most dangerous part. Now, let me ask you a question. How does Joab know where the most dangerous part of the battle is? Well, Joab's not a raw recruit. Joab's not a beginner. Joab is a veteran soldier. I can just see Joab walking around that city and looking at the walls and looking here and there and saying, you know what? I remember a battle like this. I remember a city like this. I remember a shape of a wall like that. I remember a terrain like this. And I remember how many soldiers we lost right there. I remember how difficult and dangerous that was. Right here is the place to put Uriah. He knows that because he's a veteran soldier. But you know what? Uriah's not a beginner. He's not a raw recruit. He's a veteran also. Uriah has been in many battles. Uriah has seen the hottest part of the battle. And so when Joab says to Uriah, I want you right up here. Don't you think Uriah knew he was going into a dangerous place? Sure he did. But I don't read about where he said, hey, I can't go there. Send somebody else up there. That's the most dangerous place. He is faithful to his commander. And he's faithful to his God. That's why he didn't go home. Look back in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and look in verse number 10. And when they told Uriah or told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark, that's the first thing he mentions, the ark and Israel and Judah and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing, Uriah said God is out there that's what the ark represented to every mind in Israel every Israelite the ark was the presence of God Uriah said I'm not going home God is out on the battlefield God is camped out there and the people are camped out there I'm not going to go home I'm not going to rest I don't want to be absent I want to be back there fighting the battle with God he was faithful to his God he is a faithful man that's how he lived that's the word that would describe him but in our text, I want to say to you secondly, I want us to think about how he looked. How does he look in this text? One preacher said to me one time after I'd talked to them about Uriah, he said this. He said, I always sort of felt sorry for old Uriah. You know what Uriah looks like in this text? He looks foolish. To the natural mind. He looks like everybody that he was faithful to made a fool of him. Have you ever felt like a fool? Have you ever felt like somebody you cared about made a fool of you? Have you ever felt like you did the very best you could and somebody took it and twisted it all around and just made you look foolish? That's what they've done to old Uriah. The wife that he loved, he's lost to another. The king that he was faithful to, took his wife and ordered, him, ordered his murder. The commander that he obeyed deceived him and sent him to his death. He didn't send Uriah up there because he didn't, he didn't send him up there because he thought Uriah could help him win the battle. He sent him up there to kill him. And then what about God? The preacher, I wouldn't ask that question. Well, somebody's going to ask it to you. You might even ask it to yourself when your heart is broken. Where's God? Why didn't God 
step in. That God who knows the ending from the beginning. Why didn't he step in and say, I'm not going to let them do this to my faithful man? Have you ever looked at heaven and said, Lord, how can this be? How could they do this to me? Or maybe even to take it a little further, Lord, how could you let this happen? I'm just being honest with you now. Where is God? Where is God? Well, I'll talk to you about that in a moment. So we see how he lived and we see how he looked. But I want to take a moment and see what we could learn about Uriah and what happened to him in this passage. I want to say three things to you. Somebody said, Preacher, does it matter if I'm faithful? I mean, I was faithful, and it fell apart. I was faithful, and it didn't work out. I was faithful, and I was attacked. I was used. I was, they made a fool of me. I, that was my faithfulness. Here's what the devil will tell you. When what you tried to do for God and what you did for God didn't turn out the way you thought it would and the way you hoped it would, when it didn't turn out, here's what the devil will tell you. He'll say, weren't you a fool? Weren't you a fool to trust them? Weren't you a fool to do that? Weren't you? He'll say, what a fool you were. Well, let's just see how foolish it is to be faithful to God. I believe it matters, this faithfulness. You say, preacher, why does it matter? Let me give you three reasons. It matters, number one, because of grace. Faithfulness matters because of grace. So what do you mean because of grace? You know who we're talking about? Uriah. But what else does the Bible call him? Uriah the Hittite. The Hittite. Who were the Hittites? They were part of those, I like to call them the Ite family. Perizzites, Jebusites, Hittites, all those Ites back there. They were part of the Canaanites. They were in the land of Canaan. Now, do you remember what God said when Israel was to come into Canaan? God said, I'm, he told Abraham, he said, I, I'm going to give you, uh, your, your descendants will be in bondage and I'm going to bring them out and I'm going to give them a land. He said, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. In other words, I believe what he was saying to Abraham, the reason I'm not doing it yet and the reason it's going to take 400 years is because I'm still trying to be merciful as I can to those Amorites, but I know what they're going to do. They're going to come to a place where they are irredeemable as a nation, and I'm going to have to have them destroyed because they won't get their hearts right. They will not turn to me and said, uh, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full, and so when Israel comes out of Egypt and they're getting ready to go in the promised land, here's what God tells them in Deuteronomy, but of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for inheritance, thou shalt save a alive, nothing that breatheth. You say, how could God say something like that? He told us why. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. America ought to, ought to pay attention to this. A nation can get to the place where they are irredeemable as a nation corporately. God can still save individuals out, but as a nation they are under the judging hand of God and they are set for destruction. And so this people had come that way and they'd reached that place and God said leave alive nothing that breatheth. The next verse says namely the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites as the Lord thy God hath commanded you and then he warns them why? That they teach you not to do after all the abominations which they have done unto their gods so should ye sin against the Lord your God. He said wipe them out. Don't leave one breathing. Not one thing that has breath in it. Don't leave it alive. Kill them all. Destroy them all because of their wickedness and their ungodliness. But wait a minute. 
I find a Hittite here. I find a Hittite in 2 Samuel. And I find a Hittite who is serving Jehovah God of Israel. I find a Hittite who is married into the nation of Israel. I find a Hittite who is faithful to the king of Israel. You say, preacher, how does a man who was under the sentence of death get involved in fighting in the Lord's army? I'll tell you how. Grace, friend. That's grace. He got better than what he'd earned. He got better than what he deserved. It's the grace of God. Now, we say this. And it's become trite and we say it and it rolls off our lips and off our tongues so smoothly and so easily. And sometimes I don't think we think about what we're saying. But here's what we say and I've heard it said that God has already been so good to me that if he never did anything else I'd still have to spend the rest of my days praising him. Well I want to tell you it's true in all our lives but we have an example of it here. God had already been better to this man Uriah than he could have possibly dreamed. He's already done things he never had any right to do and associate with people that he never had any right to associate with. He's already lived a life that it was under the judgment of God. The penalty of God has already been uh, has already been on him but by grace and by mercy we find him uh, enjoying the good things of God. God has been good to him. You say well preacher somebody wronged me. I know they wronged you but they didn't wrong you as much as God did good to you. Uh, they weren't as hard on you as God was blessing you God's already done enough if he never does anything else the rest of our life all we can do is try and get caught up on praising him for saving a sinner like us for saving us and making us part of the people of God it's grace it matters because of grace you say well preacher I'm going through a hard time I know I'm not doubting it I'm not questioning it I'm not trying to make light of it But I want to tell you this, God in his grace has already been better to you. He's already done exceeding abundantly above all you could ask or think. He saved your soul and you're on your way to heaven. You're a child of God, accepted in the beloved. There is an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away waiting for you. That's the grace of God. That's the mercy of God. God has been good to us, hasn't he? So it matters because of grace. It not only matters because of grace, but faithfulness matters because of grief. Because of grief. So preacher, what do you mean grief? Well, there's a lot of grief in chapter 11 and 12 and on, but it's not Uriah that is grieving. It's David. Now you think about this. I was thinking about old Uriah one day, just, just kind of contemplating about him. And I thought about Even with what they'd done to him, here's what he missed. He left without heartache. What what happened to Uriah? Well, he went down the battlefield. And Joab said, all right, I want Uriah, I want you in the forefront of the battle. Joab picked up his, or or, uh, Uriah picked up his weapons, headed up the forefront of the battle, and he died. What did he die doing? He died loving God. He died loving his wife. He died loving the king. He died serving God. 
He died serving his wife. He died serving the king. He died for his family. He died for the God he loved and the king he loved and the nation he loved. And I could just see him walking into paradise and somebody said, hey, Uriah, what are you doing here? He said, I don't know. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do, just doing what God told me to do. I'm just loving my king and loving my wife and loving my nation and, I, and, my, and being obedient to my commandment. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do and all of a sudden here I am in paradise. You know what? He left without heartache. He left without heartache. As far as I know, he never found out what they'd done to him. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about it. God let him go home without knowing anything about that. And so here he is in paradise. And I thought about Uriah in contrast with David. What is David doing? David knows heartache. The reaping concerning the baby and the rape of Tamar and the rebellion of Absalom seems like over and over again David is suffering grief because of what he did. But oh, Uriah He's down there in paradise enjoying the good things of God, waiting on the Redeemer to come and to take them all out of there. I'm just saying to you, friend, he left without grief. You say, well, preacher, they've caused me a lot of grief and they've caused me a lot of heartache. Well, let me just say this to you. You just walk with God. You just be faithful. You just stay right. One of these days, you'll be in the presence of the Lord. You'll be in the presence of the Lord. And that crowd that has gone against you and that crowd that has tried to steal your joy and that crowd that's tried to make a fool out of you. The Bible said they're going to reap what they've sown. You and I are going to reap joy in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just be faithful. He left without heartache. He not only left without heartache, he left without hatred. Think about what Uriah might have felt and done if he had known. Can you see him picking up his weapons and saying, I don't have time to fight the enemy. There's somebody else I gotta take care of. Can you see the bitterness that could have reeled up in his heart over those that did him wrong? But you know what? He goes home without ever finding out. There's never any bitterness. There's never any hatred. You know, can I say this? And I, I think I'm right about this. If you don't agree with that, I, I wouldn't fuss with you. You know, I always talk about that whale, Jonah's whale, that, that great fish, the judgment of God. No, it wasn't the judgment of God. It was the mercy of God to keep Jonah from drowning. It seems to me that God is merciful here to Uriah and that he never gives him a chance to get full of bitterness. Man, bitterness is an awful thing, isn't it? One lady, I was in a meeting one time, and a preacher's wife came up. She said, Preacher, we've been, having, we've been having a ladies' Bible study. We're studying bitterness. And she said, we have come up with a definition for bitterness. I said, I'd like to hear it. She said, bitterness is a poison that you give to yourself, hoping it'll kill your enemies. And that's what bitterness is. It doesn't kill anybody else. It doesn't destroy anybody else. But it destroys you. And so here is Uriah, but he, he, he left. He, he didn't witness the hatred, all that would go on. What kind of hatred? David had to witness family hatred. Amnon molested his sister. And then the Bible said after he did it, he hated her. And then the Bible says that Absalom hated Amnon. I call it fuming hatred. For two years, for two years, Absalom harbored that bitterness and planned the murder of his brother. And then there was the fatal hatred. 
that finally killed Amnon and then wanted to kill David, Absalom. So you know what David's surrounded with? He's surrounded with hatred, but not Uriah. Uriah is surrounded with love and peacefulness and expectation. So you have him leaving without heartache and leaving without hatred, and then this, he left without halting. What I mean by that is he left with a clean testimony. Man, if you're going to go home, it's not when you go home, it's how you go home. It's not when you leave, it's how you leave. How are you going to leave? Leave with a clean testimony. Leave right with God. Leave where somebody would have to look and say, somebody said, well, I'll tell you what happened to old Uriah. He messed up somewhere and God's judging him. Can you show me where? Can you find that in your Bible? Can you take me somewhere in the Bible and show me where Uriah was not what he was supposed to be? I can't find it. I looked. I didn't find it. As far as I know home, he went clean home. When he went home, he went right with God. He went home with a clear testimony. Man, if you're going to leave, that's the way to leave. Clean, standing up, finishing the course. But what about David? David lost his testimony with his foes. He lost his testimony with his friends. He lost his testimony with his family. David did. You see, somebody said, well, boy, Uriah got the short end of the stick. No, no, no. Looks to me like he got the long end of the stick. Looks like David got the short end of the stick. It matters if you're faithful. It matters because of grace, and it matters because of grief. But then finally this morning, it matters because of the gospel. It matters because of the gospel. Say, preacher, what do you mean the gospel? Well, I just mentioned a couple of things. One thing, I just throw this in here. He's in the genealogy of Christ. Have you ever thought about that? He's not in the family of Christ. There are others who are physically in the family of Christ, but Uriah is not in the family of Christ, not physically, but he's mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. He's mentioned in there, in the lineage of the Lord even though we don't really belong in there. It said that David begat Solomon of her that had been, I might preach on that tonight, had been the wife of Uriah. But he's in there. He's, you, would you let me just speculate a little bit? I, I can just think God is inspiring Matthew to write down all the names of them that are in the genealogy of Christ. And I'm going to tell you, there's some, there's some folks in there that had good testimonies and there's some folks in there that didn't have a very good testimony. There's some godliness in there and there's some wickedness in there. It's almost as though God leaned over heaven and said, now Matthew, there's a fellow that don't really belong in there as far as being in the family, but he was a faithful man. And I'm just having a hard time overlooking him. <laughs> And forgetting him. And I think we'll just, I think as long as we're talking about my son, the most faithful human that ever has been or will be, let's just mention Uriah in that vein because he was a faithful man. He loved me. He, I just, you, you say, preacher, can you, can you show me that? Well, all I can show you, he's in that lineage. And I can't figure out another reason except God wanted us to remember him. And God had not forgotten him. And the Bible said it's required in men that a man be found faithful. And I think God puts a high price on faithfulness. But I want to show you something. That's not really what I wanted to say. I just threw that in. I want to remind you in our text, we read this in 2 Samuel 23. Uriah the Hittite, 30 and 7 in all. 
Now, that's interesting because in our Bible, we have a thing called Bible numerology, and we don't necessarily build doctrine on it, but it certainly is a reflection of doctrine. Numbers in the Bible have a significance. The number 30 is the number of dedication. You dedicated those 30 pieces of silver. It's dedication. And the number seven is the number of completion. God made the world, finished it in the seventh day. Uh, finality, completion. We call it God's perfect number. So right next to the name of Uriah, we have a number that means a complete dedication. 30 and seven. So what I would expect is that there must be something about Uriah that would remind us of a perfect dedication. And the only man I know that was perfectly dedicated to the Father was his son, the Lord Jesus. So somewhere in Uriah's life, there ought to be an example of Christ. He ought to remind us of Jesus. So I started thinking about that. Here's what I thought of. Uriah looks like Jesus. She said, Preacher, how does he look like Jesus? Well, first of all, he died for the sin of someone else. He died not only not, not for his own sin, he died for the sin of David. Now that reminds me of Jesus. He did not die for his own sin because he knew no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. He died because of somebody else's sin. Your sin and my sin. Not only did he die for the sins of others, he was forsaken in his death. Put Uriah, set Uriah in the forefront of the battle, the hottest part, and retire ye from him. I wonder if Uriah, I wonder if he was just so busy fighting, he didn't notice all them fellas just pulling back and leaving him by himself. He was forsaken. And you know what the Bible said about our Lord Jesus? He was forsaken in his death. We know those disciples that went with him all the time. Man, when he got, when they came and arrested him, they all flew, they all, they all got away. They were all afraid for their own lives. He was forsaken in his death. I thought about this. He was he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. He led as a lamb to the slaughter. And you know what the Bible said about Jesus? As a lamb, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears, he opened not his mouth. And then uh, he was wounded in the house of his friends. Uh, and then his own familiar friend lifted up his heel against him. You know what? All those verses, you know who they're about. They're all about Jesus. The Bible said in Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Uh, the chastisement of our peace was a upon him and by his stripes we are healed in Zechariah 13 6 and one shall say unto him what are these wounds in thine hand and he shall answer those which I received I was wounded in the house of my friends in Psalm 41 9 yea my own familiar friend in whom I trusted which did eat of my bread hath lifted up his heel against me now I want you to think about this here is Uriah we don't know much about him we don't know we don't know much about his life except what we read in these two portions of scripture we don't know much about him we don't know how he uh, as far as we can tell he was a faithful man but we don't have a picture of his everyday life but when he gets in the middle of this position right here where they've made a fool of him where they've used him where they've taken his life where they've deceived him all of a sudden you know who he looks like he looks like the Lord Jesus he reminds me of Jesus and I want to say to you tonight you say well preacher I've been ill used I've been wrong I've been lied to I've been made a fool of then let me tell you this may oh friend this may be the best opportunity that you're ever going to have in your whole life to look like Jesus and to let some 
somebody know what Jesus is like and that's why the devil's telling you to quit. So my heart is broken. I've been wronged. Well, look like Jesus. Live like Jesus. Let a lost and a dying world see what a Christian is really like. You know what the word Christian means? It means a little Christ. A little Christ. Let somebody know when you feel like what you've done has been wasted, when you feel like your faithfulness didn't count, when you feel like you've been made a fool of, look to Jesus and say, this is the time. This is my greatest opportunity to let someone see what Jesus is really like and to see Jesus in me. Your faithfulness counts. Now here's what the devil tell you. He say, you know all that work you put in that? You know all that time you put in that? You know all that talent, whatever that you poured in there, it was all a waste. No. Do you think Uriah's life was a waste? Apparently not because I just saw Jesus in him. It's not a waste, friend. Just live for God. Just live for God and let somebody see Jesus even in the time of your trouble.